whereas for the very small market, it's actually 1.4. And that's a, a ratio of debt service and NOI. I believe you need a higher NOI in those very small markets in order to qualify for the loan. Whereas if it's a top market, your NOI doesn't need to be as high. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We don't do that fluffy stuff. And today we got follow along Friday. The purpose of follow along Friday is to talk about our entrepreneurial ventures as real estate investors, lessons we've learned, lessons we picked up on. And today, first off, Theo Hicks. Hello. How's it going, Joe? It's going well. And today there are three lessons total. One that I have observed throughout the week, but then also throughout life, quite frankly. And I'll talk about that. And then two lessons that I want to highlight that I learned from my nine interviews that I did last Thursday. And I learned more than two things, by the way, but we have a short period of time. So I just wanted to call out two things from some of those conversations. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. You good with that? Let's do it. All right. So I'm going to switch up to order. I know I sent you an outline. I'm going to switch up to order a little bit. Anna Kelly she is the founding partner of Zenith Capital Group, and you can see her and say hi to her at reimom.com. She has a portfolio valued at over $12 million. It's $12.5 million, 130 doors. And her largest deal is a 73 unit. Yeah, definitely. Largest deal is a 73 unit. She found the 73 unit by speaking to someone at a gymnastics class, I think it was with one of her children was doing gymnastics, speaking to someone at a gymnastics class about how she was wanting to get into larger properties. So she had talked to others about, I am a real estate investor and she had a portfolio up until that point, but nothing as large as a 73 unit. And at the gymnastics class, she connected dots with someone else who was there attending for their kids thing and they ended up doing a transaction together. And the thing to reinforce here is, one, as we all know, it's challenging to find really good deals, especially off-market deals. So when we are in places like a social gathering, if you've got kids, then their soccer game or gymnastics or tumbling or whatever, it's important to be social, talk to other human beings. I think I'd say 70%, that might be a little high, but a higher percent than not of parents or people who are not parents who are attending other functions stay within a certain clique or even go and isolate themselves so that they're not talking to a bunch of other people who are gathered for the same event. And that's a big miss. One, it's a big miss just to have human interaction and whether we acknowledge it or not, we all need a sense of community and you will have a better feeling 
for having spoken to others than having not spoken to others at an event like this. And then two, it could lead to business results. And nobody wants to talk to someone who is peddling a deal at a gymnastics event. That's not what I'm saying here. All I'm saying is when we attend social functions, be social. And in this case, it led to a $6.4 million property that was purchased. And the seller actually wanted $7 million. And she initially offered six and they came to agreement at 6.4 because of updated financials and some other stuff. So even when you're a million dollars off, whatever that percent is, which is a high percent off on a million dollars on a six to $7 million property, that's a high percentage. Even when you're that far off, when you have that type of relationship with someone, then you have a higher chance of working through something. So when you're at a social event, be social. Any comments? Yeah. First thing it reminds me of is obviously everyone asks all the time, you know, how do I find deals? And you've got your cookie cutter answers, talk to broker, send out direct mail. But a thing that, as you mentioned, some people will talk about it, but it's not as common. I believe this is one of the things talked about in Brandon Turner's book on rental investing, which is one way to find deals is to talk about real estate. I think either he gave examples or maybe I just heard it on your podcast, but I've heard people find deals from people they've met at church I remember the second one was definitely from your podcast. The guy, he was buying single family homes and he would just talk to cashiers. Every time it was like a grocery store, he talked to the cashier. And I remember that. He didn't just say, hey, can I buy your house? He had some strategy behind it. Like, oh, I he would compliment them. And then eventually the conversation would lead to real estate somehow. And he would essentially ask for referrals. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of getting creative and it's going to be a lot easier to find like a single family home using the strategy, but it's proven that you can find these larger deals as well, even somewhere as non-real estate related as a gymnasium or a mm-hmm. place where you do gymnastics. So I agree. I know someone else who found a deal through just talking to someone at work. So yeah, if you're having trouble finding deals, one way to do it is just talk about real estate. But again, don't be really weird about it and just walk up to random people and say, hey, can I buy your property? Yeah. You can, but it's kind of being more natural about it and having real estate be naturally brought up. Obviously, when you're talking to people, one common question is, what do you do for work? So that's a pretty easy way to to bring it up. Right. I agree. And then the other thing I want to mention about my conversation with Anna is a lesson that she learned that I want to make sure that all the best ever listeners are aware of is the different debt service coverage ratio requirement based on the size of the market that your property is in. So Theo... I know we have some document or information on this. You want to take yeah. it from here? It's actually deeper than that. So I'll start answering your question first. So this property right here is a 31 unit. I'm assuming she got the one of those smaller balance loans. Yep. I'm a small balance Freddie Mac loan. So this is a minimum debt service coverage ratio. It's broken into four categories, top market, standard market, small market, and very small market. And if you want to know exactly what those means, you can find those on the Freddie Mac site. But for the top market, the minimum debt service coverage ratio is 1.2, whereas for the very small market, it's actually 1.4. And that's a, a ratio of debt service and NOI. I believe you need a higher NOI in those very small markets in order to qualify for the loan. Whereas if it's a top market, your NOI doesn't need to be as high. But at the same time, it's not just the debt service coverage ratio. It's also the LTV at purchase and at refinance. So for the top market and the standard markets, the LTV is 80%, whereas for the small markets and very small markets, it's 75%. And 
is also something they have for the interest rates as well. And it varies between IO or non-IO, but essentially... IO stands for? Uh, interest only. So as you go up, and by up I mean down, so as you go from top to small, the interest rates get a little worse. So the IO periods either are not existent or shorter, and the interest rates for the IO period, interest only period, and the standard period are also going to be higher as well. And that is very important and should be taken into account when you're underwriting. If you are looking at tertiary markets or markets that are barely a market. So just make sure that you're aware of the different tiers of pricing that agency loans have based on where you're located and what your deal needs to do in order to qualify. And then one more thing to just kind of add to that. If you're not doing the small balance loan or going up to their either fixed rates or floating rate loans, it's not going to be a standard based off of whatever size property it is. The interest rates, the debt service coverage ratios, the LTVs for those loans will change based off of the length of the loan. So the longer the loan, the better terms you're going to get. Interview number two that I want to call out, and then I'll end with an observation I have from this past week slash life. Number two is from Jason Hall. He's the CEO of Door Grow. He's a property management growth expert. He is focused on helping property management companies, well, grow and scale. And his advice, what I liked about it is it's applicable to business and not just property management companies. There are some nuances clearly for property management companies, but some of the things he talked about regardless of if you're trying to grow a property management company or a syndication company or a fix and flip company or a cupcake shop, it's still applicable. And one thing that he mentioned that I subconsciously was thinking about, but I hadn't consciously thought about it is when you create a company name, you want to make sure that you can easily say it and it is memorable And in order for it to be memorable, you need it to be easily said from one person to the other because word of mouth is the number one referral of purchase intent. And if we can't pronounce a name easily, then it's tough to recommend it. So when you're creating a company name, make sure that it is not only easy to pronounce and say, but then also spell it correctly. So for example, there's a company in my area I still don't know how to say their name. I think it's design STR and design is one word and then separately STR. And I think they're going for stir, but if I were to Google that, if I Google design STR, I don't even know if the first word's design, by the way, but if I were to Google exactly what they put on their building, then I would obviously figure it out. But it's tough for me to talk about that company. And if I heard it in passing, I might misspell. Well, I definitely would misspell their name. And then I'd go off on some other Google search and maybe find a competitor. So don't spell your company name in a unique way. Spell it in a common way. That way people can easily search it if they're needing to search online. But then also, in my opinion, if you have a really tough to pronounce last name, I wouldn't put that in your company name. I would go with something that's much easier to pronounce. And also, you don't want it to be generic. So there are three things. One, easy to pronounce. Two, easy to spell. And three, 
avoid generic names. Like if I say a company name, well, then I, 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 I give you a good example. I used to work in automation. There's a company called ABC tool. Right. And you know why they're called ABC? I don't. Tool? <laughs> no, because back when phone books were a thing, you'd be the first mm-hmm. to actually be there to look their name up. If you're looking for that tool company, that makes my, sense. my brother had a t-shirt company when he was in college, he called it a one game day. And for the same reason, A and then one and boom, if I'm looking for t-shirts, I'm going to be the first one there in the phone book. Well, phone books aren't a thing anymore. So you, you want it to be non-generic name to the category. Otherwise, when people search for your name, then they're also going to come up with a whole bunch of competitors too. Yeah, I cannot tell you how many times I would never be able to put Theo in a company name. Every time I order anything and I say Theo, like, huh? Leo? What are you saying? (laughs) Every single time. I'm telling you, every single time. I I can definitely relate with making sure that your name is easy to pronounce and spell and isn't generic. You're not one for hyperbole, so I literally think it is every single time. It's like a joke between me and my wife. I say Bob sometimes. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. And then the third thing is an observation I have. And this observation will help you identify areas to be more successful in the future. And so here's the observation. In college, I went to a junior college, and then I went to a Division three school to play football, and then I got that out of my system for a year, and then I went to Texas Tech and spent like three or three and a half, four years. I can't remember how long I spent there, but I got my degree from there, Texas Tech. So well, the middle stop the division three school where I played football for a year, I remember in practice, a little bit of context first, I did not have a good 40 time. I was like a four, six, five, 40. And I was quick. I wouldn't say very quick. I was quick. Didn't have a good straight line time, had very good hands as a receiver. And when we were practicing, I remember the other receivers, they'd be a lot faster with me straight line, but they wouldn't have as good of hands. And in some cases, in practice, they attempt to catch initially, it bounce off their hands, but then they recover and catch it. And this happened multiple times. And every single time, the receiver would get it in his hands, bobble it, and then grab it again. The coach would say, great catch, every single time. And in my mind, I'm thinking, no, actually, it wasn't a great catch. Should have caught right the first time. And last week at my softball game, our team were terrible. (laughs) You were on our team for a little bit. We lose a lot more than we win. And it was a close game. One of our better hitters hit the ball to left center. Their left center fielder wasn't that hard of a play. Bobbled it, then caught it. Ended the inning. Ended our threat of scoring a run. (laughs) The guys on their team and our team's like, oh, what a great catch. What a great catch. And I'm thinking, no, it wasn't a great catch. He bobbled it. He should have caught it right the first time. And I was like, why do people say great job when the outcome is, yeah, you caught it, but it wasn't a great job. It was you saved your butt by fixing the problem that you created. So I was like, you know what? But am I guilty of that myself? And so I started thinking, there are some things in life that I have been rewarded by but I shouldn't have been rewarded. And then that can lead to negative habits in the future because I got rewarded for doing something that I shouldn't have been rewarded for doing. 
because clearly the guy who bobbles it left center, he shouldn't be rewarded with a thank you or a nice job after he bobbles it and catches it. There was some sort of part of his fundamentals that was off. So I was like, well, that's applicable to real estate because my fourth house that I bought, I bought it for $35,000. I thought I was going to put in $5,000, ended up putting in $15,000, took a lot longer, and it rented for about the same or less than after the renovations. And I believe I maybe lost a little bit of money. Maybe I made like a thousand bucks or broke even. It was somewhere plus or minus a thousand dollars. But I got rewarded because I just bought in a market at a time where homes were appreciating. Mm -hmm. So despite my best efforts to screw up the deal, I was able to get out of it and no harm, no foul. But if I had done that 10 times in a row, I would have lost my shirt. Fortunately, that was the last single family home I bought. And then I went into multifamily, but I was getting rewarded by not losing a significant amount of money on that deal for stuff I messed up on. And it's important that as entrepreneurs, we have self-awareness to recognize, yes, I accomplished something, but did I do it the right way? Because if I did not do it the right way, then I'm not increasing the chances of future success. But if I did do it the right way, then I am increasing chances of future success because I can replicate that process. So when we celebrate our wins, my suggestion is to do an assessment of, okay, I won on this thing. It turned out well, but did I do the right things to make it that way? Or did I get lucky? Or were there some other variables in play that might not be in play in the future? So I need to identify that and then make sure I course correct for future endeavors. Yeah, I think that last point is about the variables because before you, you said you the market example, that's kind of the, the perfect example. You, you could buy a property and it ended up being great. And the only reason it was great is because you just bought it at the right time. And maybe the right time is for three years. And so you can keep buying these properties at the right time and be successful, but you can do everything the exact same way again in five years from now and end up losing all of your money because you weren't, as you mentioned, doing things right, whatever that right is. I totally agree with that. So it's important kind of going back to the the bobbling example, I guess for football, you either have hands or you don't, in my opinion, it's kind of hard. And you can train that, but in real estate, if you're bobbling these deals where obviously you're, you're being successful, but you did something wrong along the way, you have to identify what you did wrong or what could be an issue in the future that necessarily was an issue on this deal. Um, I know I can say that for the majority of the deals that I bought, I kind of bought wrong, but ended up working out because the market was really good when I sold. Whereas if I held on to them too long, then yeah, I kind of would have been screwed. But from my perspective, I was able to identify that up front and then kind of salvage the situation. I totally agree. It just kind of, kind of comes down to being aware and not, uh, I don't want to say cocky is the right word, but as you mentioned, celebrating wins that aren't necessarily because you did something amazing. It's because you got lucky in a sense. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. And I'm in the chess pretty big right now. And then I'm also occasionally I look at analysis of poker hands on YouTube. There's this one guy, I forget his name, but he's great. And he talks about this on some poker hand, a bunch of people were analyzing where this guy folded when he technically shouldn't have folded, but he folded and it ended up being the right decision. But the commentator was saying, yeah, everyone watching this thinks, oh, what a great fold. He folded 
and he would have lost money because he would have got steamrolled by this crazy hand this other person had. But you do that 10 times in a row, that's going to be the wrong decision seven out of those 10 times. He just happened to get in that 30% category in this instance, and everyone's like, great job. But he did the wrong thing, but he got rewarded for it. And it's just something to be self-aware of. Yeah, it's like splitting 10s in blackjack and winning. Everyone's like, oh, what a great play. He's like, well, no, that was a horrible play. <laughs> but you end up getting rewarded for it. Yeah, gambling, this is a really good analogy for gambling, for sure. <laughs> All right, let's go into the next section. Trivia question. So last week's trivia question was, what state has the lowest percentage of housing units occupied by their owners? Right before I asked Joe for the answer, I said I knew you would get it. And he did. The answer was New York at 54.3%. So not below that 50% mark, but still, that's very high. This week's question is a little bit more fun. (laughs) So there's a city in the United States that has a law that you are not allowed to have more than two toilets in your home. I'm not going to make you guess what the city is, because it's obviously an off-the-beaten-path city. But what state is the city located in? Well, there's a building code where you're not allowed to have more than two toilets. Man, Arkansas. No, Arkansas. yeah, Arkansas. I'll Arkansas. go Arkansas. Okay. I have no logic behind that guess. Yeah, I thought it was a funny question. <laughs> <laughs> so if you are the first person to get the answer correct, either in the YouTube comments, if you're watching the video, or you can email us at info at Joe Fairless, then you will receive a free copy of our first book. And then lastly, we've got our best ever apartment syndication book review of the week. This week, it is Matt Widermore or Widermore. And he said, Joe and Theo give you a clear and concise path to getting started in apartment syndications. They also lay it out in a way that is appropriate for people of all experience levels in real estate. If you've ever considered getting started in apartment syndication, this book is a must buy. Well, thank you for that. And glad you feel that way. And We are writing another book that will help passive investors mitigate as much risk as possible when they're investing in syndicated deals. So we're in the process of interviewing some of Ashcross investors and learning what we should put in the book. So if you have any things that you think we should mention or talk about that would be of interest to you, if you're passively investing in deals, if you want to know certain stuff, if you think we should highlight certain stuff, then go ahead and email info at joefairless.com with that stuff and we'll make sure that we incorporate it into the book. Thanks everyone for hanging out. Hope you got a lot of value from today's conversation. We'll talk to you tomorrow. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase Go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs, Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.